Today's episode is brought to you by PinkSav. Well, not really, but it might as well be. If you don't know what it is, you probably don't have kids. And if you do, you're parenting wrong. It's for their asses. And it makes sure your little one's tiny backsides don't end up hotter than a cherry red Corvette in the summertime. You see, it's a product that's been around longer than Oreos, longer than Folgers coffee, longer than a bunch of other really old shit, and that's how you know it's good. Pink Sav Diaper Cream. We may not have the fancy ingredients a lot of modern diaper rash ointments do, but our name is spelled really weird, so we've got that going for us. The Born to Be Mild Podcast. Hey guys and girls, I'd like to apologize for the late rollout of this week's podcast. Sometimes both hardware and software can conspire against you, and coordinating a podcast remotely can be a little tricky at times as well. Rest assured what you are finding in the following conversation is some grade A content as always, and the takes are no less hot than the second they came off of our lips yesterday afternoon. We start the show off with some really personal medical talk, possibly not for the squeamish, but certainly some real stuff, and then we talk a little, you know, sports jocks versus fantasy dweebs in who is more elitist and who is more inclusive. We talk some of our favorite Oscar performances and movies of the year, and a little bit about the high flyers that hooped it up in this year's NBA All-Star Game. Lastly, we wrap things up with Donald Trump's week of retribution and his assault on our democratic institutions. You didn't think we were going to leave that out, did you? Oh yeah, you're doing kind of the uh, the diet drink, huh? I just drink it all the time. Is it for like uh, cleansing purposes or? Oh well, it's for overall health. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah it's, I, it's for it's for cleansing purposes, but yeah, you know, have, just because it's a good thing to do in general. Sure. Have you noticed uh, mm-hmm. like obvious obvious gains or anything or? <laughs> Has it been? No, I mean, for me, like, I've had intestinal issues for about the past, like, 18 months. So, uh, intestinal it's just all issues. A balance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had, like, what I thought was fucking, uh, colitis. And luckily, I think it turned out to just be diverticulitis and, uh, irritable bowel or inflamed bowel. Um, and it had me really laid up for the better part of like three months and i lost like 45 pounds 45 pounds yeah yeah i was not doing that hot um i was under the assumption that it was like colon cancer probably um but that was only after they found out that it wasn't the gallbladder like i was hoping it was a gallbladder and uh it wasn't And then they're like, all right, well, you know, we have to go and do a colonoscopy and, um, you know, do biopsies and stuff. And, um, 
there was, you know, some inflammation there. So there was some stuff to look at and, uh, it wasn't good. And it was, um, I think probably, you know, for the most part dietary and yeah. from then on out, like I was doing this really strict diet. It was called a FODMAP diet and it is based on the gaseous compounds that each food gives off. Okay. So like. You know, uh, onions are bad and garlic is bad and blueberries are good, but, you know, mm-hmm. uh, apples are bad. Um, so it was just something that you were looking out for. And for the most part, it was definitely no uh, gluten and no dairy and really winnowing it down to uh, nothing. And then starting back up with a reintroduction diet kind of thing. Was uh, there uh, an elimi- an elimination diet? Did they like identify a reason? Like how it um, got that way? No, they didn't identify a reason. So hmm. that's, I mean, like luckily I haven't really had any flare ups that were, and on par with anything I had before my really bad one that had me going through all this stuff. Like when, when I was going through it and the flare ups were really bad, it was so much that I was just like completely laid up, couldn't get out of bed, writhing in pain. And it felt like shit was like exploding inside of me. It was on fire, man. Um, and my girlfriend and then fiance at the time was like, purifying food and putting it through a strainer for me because i couldn't have any fiber right. for a while kind of a liquid diet and yep 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 and it was yeah it was bad i was it was bad news man oh man and then yeah and then i thought i learned my lesson and then i pretty much gained like 30 of the 45 back since then just in like being a shithead again with eating but you're you're kind of a, a a guy who's built in the medium range. Yeah, like I, I don't. Know. I'm a bigger dude, but like it gets out in the middle too much. Like if I'm on top of my shit and I'm going to the gym, like that weight can be distributed much much better. Sure. So like, um, sure. the that number can mean a lot of different things. You know that. So um, yeah. it's all about what I'm doing at the time, and is it a balance of overeating and exercise or is it just overeating or is it no overeating no exercise like sometimes what's the, it's what's just the combo nothing. what's the mix going on right sometimes now? it's really yeah. just nothing right now it's w- taking care of a child and taking care of a child so it's uh and it's then stress. Wor- and then working <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's stress so, yeah 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 so you know it's coincidentally i mean coincidentally uh i am currently as of only the last week uh, I found out that my cousin Mike um, has been dealing with uh, very advanced cancer in his colon. Son of a bitch! And uh, it was uh, to the point, and you know how men are stubborn. Like we're all we're all laying around like that's uh, ah, nothing. No fuck you know? that. You're no, you're vomiting that. I, I blood. I run. I'm running. I'm running to the hospital. I am oh not yeah, that you're person. that guy. I'm not that alpha male dog. Oh yeah, I am. I am. I am wary. You are Beta Ron. Beta Male Ron. <laughs> I am smarter than the rest of whoever's not doing it. That's what I am. 
I am preventative care, Ron. I am. Uh, I try I am to be regularly scheduled checkup, Ron. I am all of all of the above. Yeah, I kind of live. Uh, I think I like to live kind of an alpha state in my head but like yeah when it comes to stuff like what does that, that mean what is that like lone wolf like too proud to actually no uh, trust professionals with your body well that's what i'm saying i like to live that style in my head but when it comes to something like that yes i'm going to the professionals and uh what what had happened to my cousin is that uh he basically um yeah, like he couldn't get out of bed for a while he couldn't even eat he was just vomiting this went on for you know and extended, How old is he? Uh, he's, I don't know, he's about 10 years older than I am, I think. Um, he's an older cousin, but like his... Has he ever had any uh, cancer before? No, but it does run in the uh, the family. Um, fuck. Yeah. Well, mm. you know, yeah. n- not fuck mm. for me no, because I was adopted, good. so I, I don't I don't have to worry about that. No, I know, but, but uh, like it is so genetic at times that like it's you scary. are so predisposed that they will... They will give you um, colonoscopies, uh, you know, like they'll allow them, they'll approve them. Sure. Way earlier, 10, 20 years earlier, if you have a family history. Well, uh, brace yourself, because uh, what happened is uh, his his wife uh, actually forced him uh, to go in and get checked because he was so sick. And he was fighting against her like the entire time. She had been saying this for you know, weeks and weeks and weeks. And finally, you know, he, he's in such bad shape. She's like, motherfucker, we're going to the doctor <laughs> like now. And so he goes in and, uh, it turns out he's got a, a very large mass, a tumor, uh, in his, um, his colon area. That's kind of spread, uh, into other areas down there. And you know how it is down there. Like if something gets somewhere and it goes somewhere else, you know, out of the blue now, like everything is shutting down at once. It's like, Oh, kidneys go down. Well, now pancreas is down now liver, now heart. It just, it, you know, it's a terrible effect. They were able, is that where he's at? Well, this is what the doctors said. They, they removed the, the mass from his, uh, from his colon area and um right they weren't able to uh find you know a way to get all of the uh, uh cancer that had uh metastasized uh around his body but uh-huh. um yeah they they did that they're gonna use some chemo or radiation not yet because after they did that in a couple more days they actually had to do a colostomy and so uh-huh. now he's a card carrying bag wearer, um, which no, for sure. I mean, like, and you know what? That was my. That's like my one of my biggest fears because I'm like, and it can happen because what I had is like baby steps to something that isn't as severe as he had. But if you have the, um, if you have the ulcerative colitis, right? Yes. And you start having really severe holes put in your shit. Then next thing you know, they start snipping pieces of your stuff out. And next thing you know, you don't have any left. And then you got the bag. And right. I was hearing like when I was going through all this stuff, I was like talking to these all these people. And they're like, yeah, I know a guy who's got that. Yeah, I know a guy who's got that. And I'm like, fuck. 
fuck you. Fuck, I don't want to know about this. This is a life that, oh, I can imagine having, and I can imagine, oh, you know, being kind of a sour motherfucker. I can be a fucking Lieutenant Dan over some shit. And, um, <laughs> and, and I know that I would have to work on be- seeing the bright side and I, you know, you just fight the fight that you're given and you think about those things when you're going through that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, sure. it's a dark topic. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's kind of funny to incorporate the Lieutenant Dan thing and him screaming at, uh, his God <laughs> while it's pouring down rain, <laughs> challenging him. <laughs> it's kind of the way that somebody might feel, um, but what was really, uh, uh, I guess, the most uh, eye-opening and kind of uh, uh, scary thing was when we heard that uh, the doctors told Mike that if his wife had not have forced him to come in that day, he might have died the next day. Wow. And now, since so what's they, his prognosis right now? Well, since they removed the mass and they did the uh, colostomy and uh, that, uh, they're they're trying to wait because the uh, you know th- there's no way the oncologist there's been discussion about uh, radiation and chemo and the normal things, but uh, they they've not set up a plan yet. Although he seems well enough. Where's he at? He seems well enough to go home. He was in the Cleveland Clinic, so he was in a good spot. But uh, they, they sent him home today. So as of Cleveland Clinic, so good. Oh my god. Yeah, no, it's a top I mean, top five hospital so in the dope. nation. Have you been there? Yeah, oh, of course I have. My dad uh, had a no, heart I mean, attack. Have you there. been there? Yes, I've been there. Your dad was there when he okay. He had a heart. Well, I so mean, like, I, I was ten place, years old. Man, but it's like, so impressive. It's so impressive. Yeah, no, it's well, you would really appreciate it as an adult, and if you've like, you know, no, it's, it's gone through the ups and downs of any kind of regular hospital. It's system, top five. Oh, it's up there it's with fantastic. Johns Hodgkins and uh, the Mayo Clinic. Those, you know, that's that's an elite hospital. So they're giving him good treatment. Um, but along with that, I know that my own father spent time uh, in the Mayo Clinic, which is also right there, uh, in you know, being. Truly, one of the establishments that uh, people want to, you know, have the best healthcare that they can get, and uh, he died of uh, liver cancer while he was there. So uh, nothing is fail-proof, and this is possibly the most depressing opening to anything <laughs> we've ever done. So uh, hell yeah. You know, we got to dig deep and then we will rise above it. Yeah, it's it's one of those uh, really sad. So, um, but what else is. Yes, uh, well, all right. I will move on and we will start with this fucking kid of mine. Let me tell you about the week I had with this little lady and her her stomach virus. Now, you know, I'm not uh, <laughs> I'm not always uh, I'm not privy to all of the the things and nuances that happen with uh, kids. I kind of uh, watch and see my friends, but like I've never experienced it. So I don't know how much I would tolerate. So go ahead and give me the, uh, the ups and downs of what happened. Well, I mean, it's a real simple thing. You go to daycare for the first time and you bring home some fucking microbic passengers. <laughs> and this girl starts 
starts shitting her brains out. Wonderful. And the babysitter's like, she's like, yeah, she like, you know, had about five poops in the past three hours. <laughs> they were all, I'm like, okay. I'm like, you didn't want to call me or anything. She's while just was casually work. throwing it out there, right? She's like, yeah, she yeah, was just pooping you know like every few minutes. It was great. She's a seasoned vet. She kind of works in the uh, daycare industry and stuff. And I was like, come on, you know, something's wrong with her. And yeah, so there on out, it was touch and go. We went to the quick care, which is, you know, the urgent care for babies. Sure. And luckily we got a nurse who was kind of really sympathetic to us. And she said, hey, we don't have the, the, the facilities to treat this because if she's dehydrated to a certain point, she has to get an IV. And we don't do that kind of stuff here, obviously. You have to go to the ER. Hmm. So we were almost uh, in an ER visit situation. Right. And it, it comes on it that quick. And you don't even realize it. Because we were sitting there and she's got this temperature. And she's not finishing her bottles. And she looks like absolute garbage. And you're like, oh, baby, what can we do? And she's fussy and fidgety and... You feel so bad for her and you do want to do everything you can. And then it comes a time where you say, no, we got to get in the car and we got to we got to ask the professionals. And luckily, like Akron Children's Hospital has a satellite branch like right down the road from us. And they have this thing where you could basically just set your time online and get all these available appointments. And it's a walk in. Right. Urgent care for babies. And so that works. The, That's the good. Kit. The care is fantastic. Yeah, man. It's real cool. And, you know, just had to ride it out. And it was so many poops, man. It was like All the so bad that like, and then you have to deal with diaper rash. And diaper rash is a serious thing. Like her ass was red as a effing baboon. All right. Why are you uh, censoring and yourself right now? Like you can, you can talk because it's I know it's just too many swears. It's too many swears, and I'm when really you're talking about it, though, your daughter. It was intense. Yeah, I got it. You. Was intense, man. Like her, her, her booty was so chapped that we were taking her to the tub and rinsing her butt off instead of wiping it, just because it was more gentle. Oh man! And you gave her the the whole bad. bidet treatment. And European style. Right. And and I'm telling you, thank goodness, we are going to be sponsored by Pink Sav. It is this company that's apparently been around since before Andy Griffith was supposed to be having been taking place. You know what I mean? Like 1920s or Wait, something what, like that. Andy Griffith. And it is pink. It is. Yeah. I'm just saying it is this butt treatment that is old as time <laughs> and it is better than any newfangled stuff okay. on the market. So you're just time and stamping it, actually, the era. This has nothing to do with any Right, Griffith. I'm giving you a time frame. <laughs> okay. I'm basically telling you that it's like blue bonnet or like a powder milk biscuit. Because I, I'm sitting here about of, to do the whistle, you know, the the whole thing. So <laughs> I, I wasn't sure that. My mouth is parched right now, but I would love to whistle with you. You want to try it? Okay, wh- what can we do? Man, we're both parched. Yeah, that's not bad. Starring that's not bad. Don Knotts. Not bad. Oh, Remember God, that? come on. Barney Fife? Are you kidding me? <laughs> okay, so we're going way back. And wait, I got one more. And little Ronnie Howard. That's what <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh little Ronnie Howard. And little Ronnie Howard. <laughs> oh, goodness. He had no idea. What that... I would give to have one of those voices. But he, anyway, he had so... a lot of happy days uh, ahead of him, didn't he? 
fucker has the mo- one of the most charmed <laughs> lives in American history. Woo! I just wanted what a ride that dude to been do on. the happy days. I mean, come on, like, like if you if you go to the ginger convention or if you go to the freckle the freckle fracas freckle fest wherever it's, yeah wherever it happens they have the his picture bigger it's than the anyone's. Right? They're <laughs> yeah, the Frextival. <laughs> <laughs> that now you know you have to keep the invitations to that thing on the down low because it will be infiltrated <laughs> like no, <laughs> no one's letting that thing go off unscathed um but all right so back to the kid back to the kid yeah uh no he's a good kid you know, opie i liked opie a lot and uh, i didn't watch happy days really but dad made me watch a lot of annie griffith and uh yeah I, I was down with opie i was i was definitely down with don knotts barney fife was a legend. <laughs> I mean, I met my kid. I met my kid. Oh, oh, that's right. I forgot you had a kid. What were you talking about? Right. No, we're talking about my kid. We're talking about Vivian. Oh, we're that one. Little... That one. Gotcha. Oh, yeah. yeah. The little Scooty Butts. Scooty She's Butts. She's doing great. She's doing way better. She's had a full recovery. And now all we deal with is <laughs> a banshee of a screaming match when we put her to bed every night. That's all. Well, I mean, other than that, she's fantastic. And it's actually great. Like my aunt was here this afternoon and she was here for an hour plus hour and a half. And she got to see the full range because I swear to God, she puts on such a front for the visitors and for strangers. Right. She's a cherub and she's fantastic. And then if you get like one and a half feeding cycles in and you get to see that much, you get to see a little bit of that brat. You get to see a little bit of the tantrum, a little bit of the poutiness. Sure. A little bit of the shine comes off. And then I'm I finally get to be like, see, see, this is what I was talking about. She's not she's not amazing all the time like you think, man. She's hardcore. She's no, like she's, biting me and she's totally she's, in the aware too. Everybody you might oh, think she's young, but she's got that. She knows what's up. She's I like, don't uh, I don't underestimate her for a second, Pete. Not for a second. She is so smart. And she is a force. She is going to be, uh, you know, a- advanced at every stage. She already is. And it's keeping me on my toes. Not going to lie. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, I FaceTimed with mom today and she said, yo, you look tired. <laughs> I'm like, like, yo, I'm like, yes, I am I've tired. got a little girl. Of course, I'm always I tired. appreciate it. Well, not only that, but the wife is working literally 14 hours at the restaurant every day she is getting like douched in in every imaginable facet <laughs> of her job people are leaving I people are walking off she's they're storming douched. off it's a it's a tidal wave of douche it's a massingill yeah something it's it's a yeah. douche sami it's coming through douche sami that's right and it's been getting her and it's not cleansing. It's not cleansing in the least. It's actually quite irritating and annoying. She's like, she's about to like, I don't know. She's not going to throw in the towel, but my God, she is pissed. Because you can't find good help these days. That is the issue. And everyone's temperamental as hell, and nobody's trying to work as a team. And, um, you know, on top of that, uh, there's there's like standards that her company has that like people just can't be breaching sure so when someone has an infraction it's like hey man i gotta write you up or whatever and then you you lose people or just people don't show up 
you'd be amazed at like the amount of people that are relying on Uber and stuff, or I don't know, the wind to blow them to work. <laughs> I don't know. They, they, they don't have any way to yeah, get to wind, work. The man. wind can be important. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you have to have a job downwind of where you live or it's just not going to work. No, out. it's not like the old days where our parents were uh, walking the uphill both ways and uh, 10 feet of snow. So. Yeah, but they were making a living wage. Oh, Oh, but let's are, not are get you into it. Let's, saying... not get, let's not get into that. I'm not going there. Um, anyways, anything new with you this okay, week? Okay, boomer. We are well into this show. Um, <laughs> yeah, the whole uh, okay boomer thing to me is uh, actually pretty funny. I, I I love the discussion, really, especially as people our age, because um, being uh, somewhere mixed in between uh, Gen X and Millennial uh, era. Uh, it, it feels like we kind of get the best of both worlds. And uh, the the one thing that even though you want to you want to hate on one gen or on another gen and that's been going on for a while. But it seems like everyone is just quick to hate on the boomers like. Well, you get to pick sides when you're in our position, but you don't get to associate with either team. So. We are actually a generation, population-wise, that's much smaller than anything around us, and but we're actually it shows we're, we're pretty prominent though, as we were the kind of people who kind of grew up in both worlds, like we grew up with. Well, no, we're not prominent because it's actually proven that we are slow to engage civically. A little bit of cynicism and apathy, a little bit, and little bit. Uh, reluctance. Okay. Right. I mean, so we are the we I, I definitely associate us as the slacker generation of the 90s and the tail end of that. So uh, that informs our generation greatly. So do you see and us as Gen Y? Was, are we like the in-between uh, phase? No, I, I like to I like to say I'm the tail end of Gen X. OK, um, but you're also the beginning of uh, the millennials. Beginning of the millennials, but I would never associate myself or my thinking or the people I grew up with with any of that uh, with that mode of thinking. Not even close. I have so a hard it's time. So distant. Yeah, I have a hard time uh, associating with either because I remember being a little kid and uh, knowing what Gen X was, and uh, it felt like a generation that already existed, and I absolutely didn't belong to it because I hadn't grown up enough yet. But then True. at some point, True. like in my 20s, uh, like all of a sudden there were these millennials. And I was like, oh, I'm, I don't know that I'm a millennial. You I was, know you're not them. Yeah, I'm like, you I'm like, I'm an 80s kid. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Get out of here. So yeah. you, you kind of feel, and I used to, uh, I had this really uh, lifelong. Like I'm, I'm, I'm analog and I'm alf. I'm not digital. And uh, go ahead. I can't wait. What is whatever. this going to be? Come on. And Dragon Ball. Dra- I was going to say No, Dragon, Dragon Ball, Ball was actually before ALF, I think. <laughs> that shit's like super No, old. it wasn't before ALF. It's like 20 years. Well, I mean, not when it became popular. Like, you, you might be talking about some kind of like... When it was made. Japanese origin. Like, nobody's talking about that. Yeah, I'm talking, that. About, I'm talking about, about when the dra- Dragon Ball was made, like in the, in the, like, 80s. the 90s. It was like... 80s ah, f that. No, nobody oh, knows. Oh, okay. You, so well, it's Dragon on. Ball Z being produced later. Okay. I'm nerd shaming right now. You are. Bro. 
But you can't nerd shame a nerd, man. I got geek uh, prowess all I will over, nerd all shame over my a face. Nerd. I will tell you when things. I will tell you when things cross a line because there's too much nerdism in the culture in general right now. And when something is like assumed to be like a known thing or well, assumed to have value, and it just sits off in its own corner. I, I can't like ascribe it, you know, as an outsider. I can't be like, oh yeah, you're, well, wait, you're probably wait totally minute, right that this fictional thing. Uh, are you talking about no. like you have like a geek elitism feeling, or like, uh, uh, like for sure, how- for sure, I do have that, and I'm gonna, I'll probably admit it right now. And it's not an elitism thing. It's just a, it's just a contempt for uh, escapism. In that you're thing. saying that's what nerdism um, is. I think so. I think that it is a deep dive into the pool. I like when people but, get really excited about things and they go through a, a lot of different phases and they understand a lot of different aspects of the world and maybe they get really hype on something for a little bit. But when they go so hardcore and it envelops their entire life uh-huh. that they have no other avenues of understanding, then now I have an issue with that um, participation like you're not getting the participation award from me, from me because you're you might not be contributing to your your fullest value and you might be contributing to a, a misunderstanding of the culture at large when you think everyone has to have the narrow mindscape that you do and if they don't then they're just you know okay uh, so you're uh, not you're not trying to portray an elitism on yourself you're actually no, you're no, actually God, calling out elitism. I think so the nerds are, are very um, elitist yeah, right you're, now. You're looking, okay, yeah. I see what you're saying, but you don't think that uh, that that kind of uh, culture pervades into things like sports? And I mean that that I think that sports are something that were more of a uniter historically, and I give it more of a pass because I grew up with it, but also because I see that it had wide ranging benefits. And well, the geek world is a uniter, the though. Star Wars. You, it is. It absolutely. I mean, is. for that for that group, um, yes, I think that that that's great for them. But I think that. But I think that um, as they have risen, so too has the um, exclusionary nature been called out of the jocks, right? So it's like, hey, you can't just be like my way or the highway. You're not the cool yeah. guy anymore. Um, well, there's always the going to be that. that. Gets to be that. You're way. always going to have that, I guess, with a kind of a, a warring you know, a difference in ideology, like somebody who may be more inclined to like uh, Dungeons and Dragons. It might not be the same person. The cis male viewpoint, the masculine testosterone driven viewpoint of society and of the sports world in general has definitely been taken down a peg or two in the last, you know, 40 years. I would say so. I would actually go as far. five or 10. And in the last five, you know, specifically, listen, I was been torn down. I was an athlete myself and I, I, I grew up, you know, kind of living that life. But I would also have to say, if I was being honest with myself, that maybe the, uh, the geek world is a little more accepting than, uh, the, the world I grew up in as a cis, uh, male playing sports. Maybe, maybe that collective is, uh, slightly more, uh, altruistic with, uh, the people they meet. All right. So, we can talk about it in general terms, but what we're really talking about are specific pods of the geek world. So yes, there is a corner for everyone to land, 
But I would say in terms of casting the widest net and accepting the most people, mm-hmm. sports does it overwhelmingly. And, uh, you know, well, it's I more mean, communal. Yeah, maybe nowadays it's you have something communal. like the Marvel Universe because nothing is bigger than that franchise. Like nothing is it's like essentially Walmart at this point. Yeah. In entertainment. So values, that. Yes. Yes. Uh, that is what is most that's like highly that, these are these are outliers and these yeah. are now new standards that you can't even fathom or like try to bring back to uh, or compare to uh, Magic the Gathering people or something like that. <laughs> like it's it might have started out that way 10 years but ago. Don't you think that the ago. Magic the Gathering people are accepting of everyone, whereas the sports world is not necessarily accepting of everyone? Or would you disagree with that? I think Magic the Gathering might i don't know i mean like you got nerds who will be haters on people for sure well they, they're not going to want to see somebody coming in looking like a normie yeah or well, like looking like a jock <laughs> a normie. or looking like something that hey yeah, i came absolutely. in looking like a jock to a lot of geek parties and they were okay with me because i kind of you know that's cool and you change minds and stuff there's nothing wrong with that you're breaking down barriers yeah i guess it's probably applicable to you know the, b- both sides it just seems like uh I feel like the uh, the the geek class, the you know the the ones who play magic and play D and D and are you know or they're obsessed with comics and things like that. The whole uh, Big Bang Theory fake group. Um, I feel like they are they feel like they're outcasts and they're more willing to accept people into their groups, whereas they look back the other way, whereas the group that I grew up in being kind of jockish are kind of the elitists. You know, they think that they're not... That's fine. Those people can't be in. I just think that if you go to the Dungeons & Dragons or something like that, you're seeking that out. And nobody's going to turn you away for for wanting to play the game or wanting to invest your time. That's fair. Uh, um, You know, like, they're they're not going to turn you away. Your money's good here, so to speak. Um... And I think, like, while that might not be the case with sports in terms of participation, it certainly is in terms of consumption. Like, nobody's telling you you can't consume it, and people from all walks can consume it, and it's more consumable passively than those types of things. So it's a little different. Do you know Do you know the difference between commend and recommend? Well, yeah, recommend is to give someone uh, something that you lo- you personally have experienced and that you would say, yeah, you might have a good experience sure. there too. Commend. Right. I understand that, but the usage... Commend the usage, is to can, just... a little bit of overlap. You commending say, someone like, is just to like, compliment I, them. Like, oh, I commend you on your... May I commend your, something to you? Your wonderful foreskin. May I commend something? You know. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So it's really, really wraps everything up nicely. Um, yeah, I just was going to say that may I may I commend something? May I commend something to you? Oh, sure. Go uh, ahead. The movie, Mer- the, the movie uh, American Factory. It's a documentary. It just won the best documentary at the Oscar Mayer Wiener Association Gala event. Okay. And um, yeah, it was really amazing. It is about an American factory, as you might expect, but it is in Ohio. It was well named, and it is an old it is an old GM factory that gets sold to a Chinese glass company, 
and they take it over and hijinks ensue, man. <laughs> it is freaking wild because, you know, they have this like dear leader mentality where the chairman is literally the chairman of all these people and he is seen as a genius back home and his conglomerate is somewhere where people like thank their lucky stars to be able to go and work like 363 days a year and get to go home for like two days okay. and see their families. Are you spoiling and the entire like, plot right now for me? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Okay. I'm just building up like the yeah, cult great. of personality that this guy has amongst his workers and employees. And he's trying to instill this type of fervent um, workmanship and servitude to an American workforce. And it's like a lot of the XGM employees. And it's kind of fucking hilarious. Hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like some of these guys are like, fuck this shit. Like, they're, uh, uh, for instance, like they go and send some of the, the leaders or the, the managers, some of the white managers to go to China and see the factory and how they work over there. And then they come back and they try to do some of the, some of the same tactics. And let's just say, you know, they're just not having it. There's okay. like, it's like, it sounds like you're di- really, really into this. So. It's worlds apart. Well, it's a perfect story because it's right up my alley in terms of it's a GM plant that just closed or or that closed recently, just like the one near me in Lordstown, where my grandmother was literally one of the was like the first woman. My my grandmother was one of the first women to work at the GM factory. This is like you know, in the bloodline, these are, this is like unionism and all this type of stuff, which is at the core of the movie is, you know, at the core of my existence and my understanding of democracy. So, you know, it's like, it, it hits on so many levels and that's why I think a lot of people respected it and, and gave it the, the commendation, if you will, not the recommendation. And no, it's marriage story is not an easy watch. And like I said, uh, there are a lot of movies out there who you're going to watch. What did Leo uh, get the uh, with the Revenant? Was that the one when he got his first uh, eaten by the or beat up by the bear? Yeah. 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 That's not one you want to watch. Painful. No, one and out. uh, You're good with that one, and especially you want to watch it in the large format. You want to get the full effect, full full slap in the face, and then and then you're good forever. Right, (laughs) and it was kind of the same with uh, something like, if you want to go back further with uh, Schindler's List. Like nobody, nobody's trying to watch that over and over. Uh, It's undeniably you have to be be pretty uh, masochistic. Yeah, understandable. Yeah. And I'm not going to put uh, a marriage story on that level. No, I, not I even do enjoy close, Adam man. Driver. Not even close. Not even close. They're not on the same levels because I, I like Adam Driver. I love Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, but I like uh, but, Liam Neeson's. But that doesn't mean I, you know, anything about Schindler's List. It has nothing about the likability. I'm just saying that the movie doesn't have yeah. the same amount of important impact, and uh, it's not it's not that tough of a watch. Like I just meant it because. I'm in a relationship right now, and you are too. And when things hit too close to home and you see things on screen, 
And it's like, I'll tell you what, man, like fucking when my, after my kid was born, like you, you worry about so many things. Like I had to stay away from anything negative at all. I had to stay away from sad songs for the first time in my entire life just because I couldn't have almost any kind of negativity in my life, even though I know that in the past, sad songs are a way to cope with depression and or just a bad day or whatever, right? So, like... Yeah, yeah, for people who have lived through stuff, and yeah, you get used to it. But so, like, you had to avoid that. Like, and I had to avoid that stuff, and I was, like, really, like, in a place where... Like I had a laser focus of positivity because I just couldn't have anything shake it. Yeah. And so like sometimes like after a year of marriage with a kid, um, basically coinciding with that year of marriage, a year of that kid's life, it's a lot that we've been through. And you are like you're you're shaky to go into anything that could have you questioning or bring things into question or bring things into light that you do yourself. And you don't want to see yourself on screen. You don't want to see that kind of stuff. So it was like, it was scary in that respect for me. Sure. You know, that's why it wasn't, uh, it's, it wasn't it's easy a lot. watch. But it was freaking awesome, man. Like, Adam Driver's fantastic in it. Like, you know, I'm not a Star Wars dude. And I, I, I was a girls watcher, but only for the first season, pretty much. But he's talented, man. And he's powerful. And, you know, obviously Scarlett Johansson, I got a, I got a soft spot for her. She was really great. Stellar performance. Yeah, I think they both did really well. I thought the the kid did really well too. Uh, as a child, uh, being an actor is hard, and I thought that was also an incredible performance. Um, after finishing it all, mm-hmm. I I don't think that I thought it was best picture worthy. Hmm. Um, okay. Now uh, I have not seen uh, uh, Parasite yet. And I, it's been high on my list for a long time, but I've seen Joker and I've seen uh, that's another one, man. What's upon a time in Hollywood? Um, great films, uh, you know. Mostly Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Joker. I think both of the, the those are two movies that uh, I think the performances of the actors are what make the movie, and that's you know that's not not. I mean, Tarantino is almost flawless when he comes out with his stuff and when he rewrites a, a narrative. <laughs> but uh, yeah, stuff like that, um, both of those movies I thought were really carried by the performances of, uh, well, Phoenix almost solely because De Niro wasn't even that good in uh, Joker, in my opinion. Uh, he was just there to... Uh, to make sure they were like, oh yeah, we're not totally copying uh, King of Comedy and uh, uh, Taxi Driver. Yeah, it was like, oh, it's a nod to him, not a ripoff. I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was pretty good just based on the, the movie alone. Like, I mean, yeah, there were great performances, but that was something that showed, you know, the glamour of, of Hollywood. I And there again with Joker, that's another one where I think it's going to be a tough watch. And I don't know if I can have that negativity right now in my life. And I know a lot of people feel the same way. Like they were not hype on wanting to see that, even though as masterful as Joaquin might be in his performance. Well, that's the whole point. It was all about his performance. But it's tough, man. It's Uh, so negative and it's such a dark place. It's like, I don't know if a lot of people want to even go there. Like we know. Well, it was shot by... Uh, you have to remember, like, this was Todd Phelps who made this movie. 
like we're talking the guy who directed Old School and The Hangover. That's fantastic, like, but I, it's, and the, this is his film. You, some like you don't want to watch someone in a mental ward. You don't want to watch something that authentic. Like and someone going that crazy and digging that deep and going over the edge yeah, isn't his, something that everyone wants his to laughter watch is uncomfortable and, and digest. It's yeah, it's unsettling just to think about going in and wanting to subject yourself to that. That's what I say. And that's a that's an outlook that I think a lot of people have. It's like there are so many hours in the day that as good as it may be. I think it's misguided to make that kind of movie nowadays and maybe find a different way like uh, because there is no good resolution with it. And I understand that sometimes that's what life has to give you as well is no good resolution. But um, it's powerful and it I think it could do more harm than good. Like it can send people in a, in a specific direction and, and show them a path that they might already be on and just show them the end result. So you mean, I mean, this is like, you're viscerally expressing what happens. Yeah, once again, I mean, I absolutely feel that like these things have a lot of import in culture and just the same way we don't need to be watching, um, a different rape or sexual assault at the beginning of every one of these CSIs or whatever the hell the one is special victims. Like, that's what starts off every episode, and it's at like eight or nine o'clock at night only, and it's on just a, a a channel that's free to everyone to ingest on a nightly, weekly, hourly basis. Like, oh, that is terrible to think that that is what is polluting the airwaves, and I do mean polluting because uh, you got talented people making stuff that is making people more scared and more violent, and it's not for the benefit of anyone. So I do, I do, I feel uh, things viscerally. Yeah. Yes, I do. I feel things very viscerally in terms of culture and media and shit like that. It's like, come on, whatever you put out is going to come back to you, and I think we're feeling that in a lot of respects. Well, I mean, money, money makes the world go round, and so something like a Joker movie and it bleeds, it leads. You got like it, Phoenix. Right? Like it's too good yeah, not to just... not to look away from. It's like a car accident that you kind of have to go see almost. Right. And he, he became, uh, or at least he adopted that tragic, like, lifestyle. Like, not, not just in performance, like, you know, while he was just living and, and continuing to play that part. The same way that Heath Ledger and the same way that, you know, these guys in the past have. And, you know, it, it showed and he, he got a statue and, I mean, it was a great performance. And it carried the movie. But, yeah, it was super dark. <laughs> Like incredibly, yeah. Well, I, you know, I will get to it someday. Let's put it that way. It was, um, yeah. It, I, I actually didn't love the film. I'm not gonna lie. It, it was. Uh, I didn't think there was much of a plot. Um, I did like. Uh, I because it was so Tarantino. I did like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It was amazing. You know, I like the way absolutely he absolutely amazing. He did this, and I didn't know. I was actually oblivious coming into it. To the Sharon Tate? Uh, that he was going to oh. do another... Oh, okay. Yeah, that he was going to do another thing like he did with Inglourious yeah. Bastards and go ahead and rewrite... Oh, I think we touched on uh, that last week. Uh, um, yeah. yeah, and that was, that was, I, was, I was blown yeah. away. I was like, oh, that's You know fantastic. what I'm really psyched it was, for? And it's always we got- great fun to see Brad Pitt do, beat people's asses and... Leo's got a flamethrower. Like, come on, that's classic Tarantino. That's so good. That's good stuff. And what's really <laughs> crazy is that the guy who emulated 
Tarantino, the director of Parasite, gets the gets the Oscar right in front of him. So a lot of people are saying that if Tarantino makes a movie about Hollywood and glorifying everything that Hollywood is and was, if he can't win it with that one, right. he's never going to win it. So essentially, you're looking at a Lifetime Achievement Award for Tarantino. They say that he might have one more film in him. If that, he might actually be done. But if not, you're looking at him actually not winning for a movie. And that's that's kind of a sad thing, but everyone went gaga over Parasite, and from the trailers that I've seen, shit looks amazing. I can't wait to see it myself. Honest to God, Tarantino is one of those guys that really has been snubbed out of awards for all the way back to like his first movies. Like, I've loved everything he's done, and let's just talk about 1994, when he did... Oh, yeah. Pulp Fiction. Uh-huh. Like, people love Pulp Fiction. And let's not forget about, oh, the same year, oh, there was Shawshank Redemption. Right. But, hey, the Academy was like, oh, I love Tom Hanks. I know, Tom Hanks I know. is so dreamy. So, Forrest Gump. Oh. Forrest Gump wins everything. And you know what? Forrest Gump is charming. It's fine. It's great. As Whatever. I've grown up, I but understand the, that Forrest uh, Gump does not have the same weight and gravitas as it would if I was someone who's old enough to live through those things and then see it regurgitated in that Disney fashion. You know what I mean? Like, right. I understand why people have contempt for it. And that movie had some heavy hitters for sure. Or I mean, that, that year. That oh, year, great acting that, that, all around. Year. Like Shawshank and... and the, the, no, the the entire lineup was tough. There you go. But dude, Shawshank is one of the best movies of all time. And come on, Pulp Fiction. And Pulp Fiction is and a when tour I look of force that changed like, the uh, entire industry from there on out. So you have Tarantino Changed everything. Getting, he's getting snubbed from the beginning. So we, we, we're just happy to have right his away. work, I think. Right away. We just have to appreciate him because... And then you're sitting around and then... He's not even getting rewarded. You know, he's just pumping out stuff. Yeah. Good stuff, not even the Kill Bill stuff, like, but like but that shit's Django too, and because uh, he went, and Glorious Bastards. He took on an entire genre with each film, and he just like does it his own way. And he's yeah. like, I will do it almost he better does. than you've ever done it before. And he's always got his. You know eye what Tarantino does? He's a student of history, and Tar- oh, he is a student of history. He's a student of uh, kind of trying to shock the the watcher. But what he always does is he rewards. His audience. Yeah, he does. There's never some kind of a weird, sad, twisted ending, which is fine because I know the artistic, you know, side of uh, filmmaking. But he always, always makes sure that when you finish his films, you are pleased and happy and all the retribution and all the comeuppance has been, ju- has been and you walk out of there like and yeah please yeah absolutely every time you finish everything every time on your plate you cannot you cannot watch Eli Roth with a, a machine gun <laughs> shooting at Hitler's face and walk out of that room and be like oh well that wasn't very uh that wasn't very uplifting like of course that was great like he does that kind of stuff just because he knows It'll make his audience happy. True that. He's the man. I love it. So, uh, it, I have not seen Parasite yet, but, uh, I would, I would have been okay if, uh, they gave the, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, the, uh, best picture. So, 
But whatever. I don't know anything about film, do I? Well, I actually want to see Little Women, and I think that might be the best one of them all when it's all said and done. I've heard good things. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that could be like good a, too. It, it, this is an I shit you not situation. Um, it's supposed to be freaking awesome. The cast is like an all star lineup. Yes, and I've heard. Yeah, it is. Oh, the, the actresses in there. You know, I Greta mean, Gerwig is someone who has really done great stuff. Have you read the book? Yeah, I mean, yeah, but like, it's it's just a completely brand. new I have take. not. It's a brand new take. I'm well read, and I've never. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So like, it's like a t- it's it's an understanding that you have to bring to it of the original, but then you know it's modernized, so that's what makes it so good. And um, we'll see. But I that's on my list, and as as lame as it sounds, it should be really really good. Yeah, I'd like to see it as well. Um, uh, you thinking about watching the uh, uh, All Star Game for the NBA? Is not on your list. What list of uh, NBA All-Star games are you watching tonight? All right, so I don't know if you saw any of the clips, but the dunk competition was absolutely amazing. Like, there were a couple of dunks that are for the ages, for the record books. Right, Aaron Gordon had something crazy, right? Aaron Gordon had somebody had some kind deliver of a, the ball off the corner of the backboard to him, and he, he caught it, he, it up and he while caught doing it one-handed, sixty one-handed, and spun around, and yeah, yeah. It was just I saw the that. most show-stopping thing you've ever seen. Uh, un, unbelievable. You know, down the house. It was absolutely, uh, in an athletic sense, incredible. But you know what? Since I was playing NBA Jam in the 1990s, like no dunks really impress me anymore. Like I'm, I'm just waiting for dudes to like catch on fire and spin around. Oh, I am like, still, I am still uh, come extre- down I'm from sorry, like 45 feet up. And like these guys are doing it so much better than anyone. Oh, ever of course done it, it was ridiculous. Like they're making Michael Jordan look like child's play. Like his his free throw line dunk from back in the day is pedestrian and Yeah, everybody best. does that now. I know. And so these guys are superhuman in what they're doing, and their creativity is obviously honed, just like you have trick shot artists who do nothing. They're not professional athletes at all. They're just bouncing ping pong balls or basketballs off of you know their swimming pools a thousand times for a YouTube hits. But, like, you have these guys who are doing it right. with, like, the most athleticism that you can find in America. These guys are flying through the goddamn air. Um, the one guy took a ball off of... No, it's pretty he amazing. He took a ball off of the back of Taco Fall. You know this guy? Yeah, yeah. He's, like, no, seven I, Yeah, I've seen them all. I, and he took the ball off the back of his neck and made a dunk. And he, he jumped over this guy who... He was actually 7'5". Exactly. Uh, listed and yeah he yeah no that was that was pretty Impressive, crazy dude. um yeah good stuff i know but it's, it's just like you, you're like... always you're always wanting to see this superhuman ridiculous stuff and i'm just kind of over it's the dunk display. contest mostly because yeah it, it's fun but these guys are never big time players and when michael jordan and you can discount the foul line dunk 
but he was the man back then. So watching him or even I'm Dwight Howard when he it. won what it I in am, like, like 2003. Him credit for in that era is that he was going up against some of the other best. So in that famous competition, he was going up against Dominique Wilkins. And that guy was known to be the most heavy-hitting dunker of all time. And he went toe-to-toe yeah, with no, him. Yeah, no, Dominique was a freak. House. Exactly. For sure. So th- it was great. And it attracted the biggest stars, and we definitely should have seen LeBron in the dunk competition. But even still, his well, he's he's not like he's not doing that ever. Past so. that, where it is a novelty, and it, his dunks are like power dunks, and he does probably do some creative stuff. But we don't need to see the best player right. who's ever laced him up. Possibly LeBron's dunk skills are about him stuff. dominating an individual. Yeah. Body yeah. it up and just like imposing he, he his will just, and getting He usually just hole. body powers himself. Yep. And that's it. I mean, you know, he didn't do like everything, uh, you know, he could do athletic stuff, but like that's not what LeBron is. So a lot of what we see in the uh, dunk contest is just a lot of guys who are really athletic and, uh, and it's, it's awesome. Uh, they're, they're, most of them are not going to be great basketball players in the NBA. But it, it it's very fun, um, you know. You know what's fun though. I I really appreciate uh, what Adam Silver did with no. going ahead and saying we're going to rename the MVP of the uh, NBA All Star Game award to be the Kobe Bryant Award. I thought that was pretty classy. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Uh, I was that down. Did not have a name already. Yeah, it was always just uh, the, you know. <laughs> MVP All-Star Just, just the uh, NBA All-Star Game MVP. It was just generic. There was nothing more to be said about it. But they, they actually gave it a name like you give, you know, the Super Bowl of Vincent Lombardi or anything else. Um, and I, I thought that was really classy and not not just because of the timeliness of it. Yes, because of the timeliness, but... You know, he's tied for the most uh, uh, MVP awards in the All-Star game with four. Uh, And, you know, that's something that he kind of owns. And I don't know. I I thought it was just a really cool move to name an award that did not need to be named. And now it is. And now it's forever the Kobe Bryant Award. And that's... uh, that's big ups on uh, on silver. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how many other guys would have uh, went out of their way as commissioner to do that. And that was really cool. So congrats to Adam Silver. Um, well, while I think that's a nice sentiment, I would say that anyone in his situation would have named the trophy after him or done something of similar import. It's the easiest thing to do, and it's something that, you know, somebody had to make some kind of grand gesture, and it's the easiest grand gesture to make. So I don't give it that much credit, but yeah, yeah it's cool. <clears throat> yeah, we'd, we'd think so, but uh, I don't know. Who knows? No, I mean, everyone, uh, anyone in that position is a public relations and media savvy person, and they're going to do that, and they're definitely going to understand the importance of... The Mamba's passing on the game. So, 
yeah, it's cool. No, everything is publicity. You're right. So yeah, it, it's tough to uh, tough to uh, say. You know, I'm not going to give this guy respect for it though. I I, I yeah, I still have to s- salute, tip a hat, something, because uh, Kobe was something really important, and uh, being that he was such a, a great all star for all these years. It seems like something that would be great to be honored for him. And I think most of the league is very happy about it. So that's all I'll say about that. Right on. Right on. Um, can we get on to some news? Can we get on to some things that aren't just for the entertainment value? Even though a lot of people, and sometimes even myself, like to think of politics as nothing but just terribly, terribly... Uh, self-defeating entertainment um yeah i think you missed one terribly but yeah i agree (laughs) it's bad stuff so how about roger stone did you see that stuff going on with william barr what do you think about that? of course i did what do you think about that (laughs) what do i think about bill barr in general (laughs) like that is a that's a loaded question Um, I honestly, it feels like status quo at this point. What do you think? I mean, are you angry at William Barr? All right. So I'm going to come in and not want to swear at him. No, I'm just kidding. Um, this guy is really funny (laughs) and he's basically telegraphing his passes to Donald Trump, telling him, Hey bro, uh, we're kind (laughs) of, we've got this and you're, you're making it obvious. Why don't you stop the tweeting? We're doing your bidding from behind the scenes. You don't need to like say stuff right out in the open. You could just like, give me a text privately. You have my number. What are you doing? And, uh, Trump's like, uh, you know, I'll do whatever I want. I have the power to do whatever I want. And William Barr is like, I'm trying to show that like this um, position has a modicum of integrity left in it. Um, it's really terrible. So like <laughs> well, he came out and he lowered the sentence right after Trump complained on Twitter, but said that he decided on lowering the sentence before the tweet came out, which is bullshit and everybody knows it. And... Um, Roger Stone is a total piece of shit, but he is Trump's longtime friend, and that's why he's getting the special treatment. He's getting a shout out, and Trump is being corrupt in the light of day, just like he's been all along. That's all I'm saying. This is just another segment to where he is bastardizing a complete branch of government for his own benefit, and you have a brand new investigation coming in from Chuck Schumer in the Senate. To see if he's abusing power once again. He just started on his retribution tour after the exoneration from the Senate, and he's already fucking shit up and trying to bend, you know, democracy to his will any chance he gets. That's what's going down. I mean, yeah, that's what's going down. So, is that, I don't know, is this supposed to be some kind of a shock? Or a surprise to anyone listening, like, I don't... This really feels like par for the course. It's the same bullshit that we've been really looking at 
It's not, but uh, you have to have the conversation with the Trump supporter and someone who like might have the weird reason to defend Roger Stone just because he's in the Trump camp. And you have to ask him, are the offenses that he's being charged with, uh, would, would you consider them to be substantial if there was a foreign national who was charged with them or if there was a Democrat who was charged with them? And the answer... The answer overwhelmingly is yes, but you know you have to put it to them like that for them to say, to to the, to to give them a break right in the, so, in the light of all that evidence. Are you looking at Stone? I'm looking or at Stone. Are you looking at Barr? I'm looking at Stone, who's what he was accused of and convicted of was cut and dry, and it is a serious offense, and. Those offenses need to be taken seriously no matter who committed them. So that's what I mean. Like if you bring that up in conversation because Barr is essentially lightening the sentence for said crimes. And you have to come into that argument saying, no, no, no. These crimes are substantial. You can talk about the validity and that's what they'll go back to. And that's the problem. They'll go back to the validity at the heart of it of the Russia investigation in the first place or whatever. But the point is, is that when yeah, you are called, go back to the point is, is that when you are called to testify, if there's perjury involved, if you're lying or obstructing Congress, if you have nothing to hide, then why are you doing this? But if you're breaking the law, but are you sure that even matters now? If you're breaking the law, you're breaking Does the law. Does anyone even care? Does anyone even care? That's the problem. Does anyone even care? Um, what you had exactly in the Senate with the impeachment trial is at least one person on the other side, Mitt Romney, saying yes, for the record books, even though this guy's going to skate, I care. And I care enough to put my name alongside my, you know, supposed enemies. And it means that much because I care. So people care, but like, if you're playing completely partisan politics, then anything that isn't shooting a man on Fifth Avenue is something that they're going to be able to explain away. And you can let them keep doing it, but you can have to hold them account. So that's why you always have to bring up these votes. And the same thing with Chuck Schumer. Like, it might have been a week since he skated on impeachment, but if he fucked up again, then you have to start it all over again. Because that's why you brought him to impeachment in the first place. It's because even though it may be procedural, this is what the democracy is founded on. And if you stop doing it, then you're just letting people run rampant. You have to at least say, I'm here, I'm holding up my hand, and I'm saying something yes. is wrong. Okay, but you can't... You're you're basically... I Okay, I'm trying to figure out where you are right now. Uh, obviously, you're you're upset about the uh, the way that uh, uh, the congressional hearings have gone, and the way that they're 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 looking at things even afterward. But what what would you want to happen? What, I mean, what what would you do different? What do you think needs to be changed? I mean, that's like you that's a you. Personally, <laughs> that's a pretty broad. What are you going to come in there and do, what do different? You want to change, like, like, well, what do I, I, I want just, to change? I, like, I, mean, I would love for like you just threw down uh, like all kinds of like things that you think to be obstructive and and immoral and definitely unconstitutional. And so, what, like, 
so how do you change that? Like just all new people? You're just going to bring like all new, like everything. I don't know how, if you're just saying that the entire uh, department is unjust and they're, they're not, they're not fulfilling their duties constitutionally. I think I was pretty clear. I'm saying that you keep doing what you're doing. I'm saying that that's what you have to do in terms of uh, fulfilling your duties and your oath of office and your oath to the constitution is that you keep opening up an investigation where it's warranted and it doesn't matter. Like if you're a uh, Democrat like Joe Manchin and you're in a red district right. or state, right. then you put your fucking nuts on the line and you vote alongside anyone who is doing the right thing and holding him to account for his most recent, uh, you know, uh, reach his his most recent overreach, and you do it time and time again. I feel like those guys are so terrified to do that. Um, I, I, I just feel luckily like, there's not as many on the Democratic side who are in peril where they're afraid to cast their vote with truth, as there are people who are on the Republican side who are afraid to cast their vote for truth to, and yeah. and get primary or whatever. But I mean, that's that's right. where we're at in, in in the party system once again. And you hate to throw stones so you know blatantly, but one people are playing with the set of facts, like the set of facts, and the other people are just playing with their own narrative. And it's not it's not benefiting the American public. That's for damn sure. No, I agree with that. Uh, it, but <clears throat> where uh, we currently are. I don't think that there's much that uh, the left can do at all. Um, you know, Trump is going to ride this. We're in February now, so we're looking at, you know, another uh, nine to ten months. And uh, election uh, season is going to be very big starting probably in like August. Uh, I don't know that there's anything they can do. I mean, is there? Like, nothing is going to change. Like, he just survived. All right, so I don't know what you mean. That's a very vague he was, question. He was, because, actually, there are things that are going on well, that I'm are bipartisan, that I, I'm and they that, are dealing with the presidency. I don't know if you saw this week. No, no. Well, well, I think where you're going is you think that there's got to be some kind of a, a, a policy or some kind of, a, actually, a, a campaign to take down Trump in November. And I don't know what that is right now because he just beat an impeachment where he was blatantly guilty. No, no, no. What I'm so no, no. what I'm saying is that he needs to be held accountable time and time again. So you're seeing that from the Democrats. But he's not held accountable. But he is. They are procedurally going through it. Uh, William Barr is actually sitting there telling him, dude, you're overreaching when you're trying to meddle in the findings of the supposedly impartial judicial branch. And then you have even... But Bill Barr is still going to abide to the constituents, just like all of the Senate did. Um, when it comes down to it, he can talk a lot of game, but he's not going to He's not gonna flip. Well, he we can't think we know this, man. Because too much of America... You think you know this man, but we don't quite know this man, and hopefully, like he can have a come to Jesus moment, and that's what you hoped for when you had Justice Roberts uh, holding up Obamacare in the Supreme Court. So, like, you think you know people, but then sometimes they vote 
in in ways that you might not have thought you know previously it's uh february right now i feel like today we could have the election and the results would be the same as if we had them in the second week of november um it just doesn't seem like we can uh, escape the tribalism that, that we're embodied in right now ensconced we're trapped and I would guess that uh, 75% of Americans already have their votes made up right now in their minds. So. Well, as we know, only about 30 to 40% of Americans even vote to begin with. So I don't think it matters what 75% that's of true. Americans think. And No, that's true. You know, furthermore, I would say that um, you know, you're going to have to see what happens because these election cycles go so quickly you um things come and go and bubble up and 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 simmer down and pop out of nowhere and there's a lot of time between now and november and even though they don't have a lot of good candidates there's a lot of of people who might be coming out that will sway senatorial and and you know house elections and there are going to be a lot of flips we're both exhausted over the topic. That's what's so funny. Like I feel like we we it, it's it's a <clears throat> it's a yeah. I'm like losing my voice over it. Uh, it's <clears throat> literally <clears throat> it's literally a topic though that uh, people uh, it gets tough to uh, keep bringing up. And I don't know how all of these uh, delegates and senators and anyone else. I don't know how they they really feel i know what they want they want to be reelected they want to be confirmed but uh behind closed doors you know people are always saying that none of these people are even supporting trump they think he's crazy but they're afraid and they're afraid because all of their delegates support him yeah that's scary mm-hmm. yeah what are you gonna do like and i don't want i you have to bring out new voters that's what you have to yeah. do you have to beat them uh with the numbers that you hopefully have as a democratic party and there's a lot of new voters to be had so that's what they're trying to do and there's gonna be a lot of time for the shine to wear off his victory like i said he's already started to do a lot of bad stuff even since and you can see his his vindiction right. like creeping through like with the vinman firings like this is why you have to have oversight and regulatory agencies you've got a guy who's just sitting there doing his job and he saw something that was completely erroneous and irregular and possibly illegal and just sent it up the chain of command and guess what this guy's going to get fired or, yeah. or you know he got fired like sure as no, shit no it's fucked up like you're, i mean you're 100% right on that <laughs> Definitely fucked up. Right. And Trump is on a wild, just retribution tour like you can only expect from that guy. And I'm surprised he didn't try to make it a primetime special. I mean, he tried to make it as theatric as possible and did it with as little class as possible once again in terms of, you know, you can let somebody ride out the rest of the four years and then not ask them back or... 
not do it in such a vilifying way where you make personal attacks on him. But that's just, you know, that's how Trump is. And he goes low. And he goes low every time. And that's what his supporters really enjoy. Yeah, he doesn't mind. He likes, they like the, they like the venom. Yeah, I saw uh, one of my, uh, actually one of my good friends from uh, back home. He recently made a comment. He was like, I like Trump because uh, he's gotten all the, uh, all the, you know, uh, politicians that were uh, basically lifetime, you know, politicians out of uh, politics. And I was like, what are you even talking about? Like, as far as I know, McConnell is still in charge of the, the Senate and Pelosi is still in charge of the House. It seems like the people that he's gotten rid of are just the people he hired. And... So I guess this is less about the man, what I'm saying right now, but it's more about the people. I think a lot of his uh, constituents and his uh, his base, they really don't have any idea what they're talking about. And this is one of my good friends, so I don't want to, you know, be, be berating his uh, intelligence or his understanding, but this is the country that we're in. You know, people just want to love him, and it's where we are. Yeah, it's pretty bad, though. I mean, he's got a really swampy um, Rolodex of people that he keeps bringing into these really important positions, and nobody seems to care. I love that you used swampy right there, by the way. Well, of course. (laughs) I mean, that's what he is. He's the most, he's the swampiest (laughs) of them all, and he is emblematic of what the swamp is. He's the worst of the worst. It's so funny because, like, you have a guy yeah. who will tell you that, you know, rain is the worst thing you ever seen, and he's got his garden hose pointed at the sky. He is doing it himself. As soon as he talks about something, that's what's actually going on in his life, and that is what he is doing, you know? If there's yeah, nepotism absolutely. and there's corruption going on, he just wants to deflect. He's very good at it, and it's just. Uh, I hope that, I hope that people's votes in November are reflective of more than just their, you know, their hatred, and more about promise, and you know, hope it's not about fear, and more about conviction, because there is a lot of uncertainty when you are trying to take down a bully for one. And also trying to make things more fair for everyone in a capitalist society like we're trying to do here. But, um, you know, it's an uphill battle. I saw a fantastic, I saw a really fantastic quote about Trump. uh, And it it said, uh, Donald Trump has proven uh, two things without, you know, any possible uh, question that the. And that's when things got a little squirrely with our recording. So we had to leave things unfinished, and for that, I apologize. So, as always, for Ron Cabuno, myself, and Pete Crawford, we will talk to you again next week.